This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio joins the fight to help conquer cancer with our trusted contributors at the Canadian Cancer Society. Welcome back. Uh, we are switching gears and we are going to talk to, about your health now. Um, men have a one in eight chance of developing prostate cancer in their lifetime, and that risk is particularly high if you're over the age of 60. So what should you do about it, men out there? Well, the advice on that has been changing. A landmark study was recently published in the prestigious New England Journal of Medicine, And now we turn to our trusted contributors from the Canadian Cancer Society to sort it out and to give us the best advice. I'm here with Dr. Katie Wright, the Senior Manager of Research Communications. Welcome, Dr. Wright. Thanks for having me. And we have prostate cancer survivor Jack Shore. we don't have a prostate cancer survivor, uh, Jack, Jack Shore, so we are going to be talking to uh, Katie uh, for the moment. So first of all, Katie, the risk factor is basically just being a man, correct? Correct. Prostate cancer, as you said, is affects one in eight men in Canada, and that's a lifetime risk. So uh, when men are younger in age, below the age of 50, there's a very low risk of prostate cancer. But as men age, and particularly between the ages of 60 and 80, is when these men will develop uh, prostate cancer. Okay. So, uh, you know, there's also a question of family history, right? Yes. So you, you, men do have a higher risk of developing prostate cancer if they have a primary relative. So a, a father, a son, a brother uh, who has had prostate cancer, um, or if there's a family predisposition for certain cancers. Okay. So uh, there's a high risk, uh, but... Uh, you know, for a long time, men were encouraged to get those blood tests, PSA tests, on a regular basis. But that recommendation is changing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so the Public Health Agency of Canada had a task force that looked into um, PSA tests and, and their uh, effectiveness and reli- reliability and ability to detect cancer. And the states has also done a similar analysis. Uh, and what they found is they actually recommended against men getting PSA testing. Um, but that's just for a variety of factors. So uh, PSA testing looks for a specific antigen that comes from the prostate, so just uh, something that the prostate generates. But um, high PSA can be a marker for cancer, but also can be for conditions uh, that men just develop. If there's inflammation at all in the prostate, um, as men age, they get higher in levels of PSA in their blood, and that doesn't necessarily indicate cancer. So it can cause some anxiety and um, increase the need for extra testing in men where it may, it is not necessary. And additionally, it does have false positive rates. So almost uh, 18% or one, almost one in five tests comes up with a false positive. So the test does have some reliability 
compatibility issues, and it also doesn't indicate necessarily that you do have cancer. So that is why they're sort of backing away from using it as a, as a way to diagnose uh, prostate cancer. Right. And, and uh, you know, the, there's a whole issue of overdiagnosis. So, you know, if you get one of those false positives or if your PSA, which is just a blood marker, uh, is there for another reason, and if they start doing biopsies, it's, it's very invasive um, and, and unnecessary. Uh, we do have a prostate cancer survivor, Jack Shore, on the line now. Hi, Jack. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. Great. Now, Jack, you are a prostate cancer survivor, and um, most men, of course, have early-stage prostate cancer, and the good news is the survival rate is way up there, 98 99%, but that's not what you had. Uh, no, I, uh, I was diagnosed about nine years ago, and um, through not only PSA testing, but through my doctor's digital examination, and combined with the doubling of my PSA over the previous year and finding a, a nodule on the prostate, uh, then I was sent for a biopsy. Right. So uh, in your case, it was really important to get tested. Definitely, definitely. I, I had been monitored for a number of years, um, but with a combination of the digital examination as well as the PSA doubling factor, um, it was uh, very important that I went uh, for a biopsy, and it was discovered that I had a very aggressive uh, prostate cancer. So uh, it was treated immediately. And uh, how long has it been? Uh, it's been nine years now. Wow. And uh, Congratulations. Well, thank you. And uh, I have what's called recurrent uh, cancer. I've had a number of treatments. Uh, I had uh, surgery to remove the entire prostate. Two years following that, um, prostate uh, cancer cells uh, recurred, and I went through 36 treatments of radiation. And uh, two years after that, roughly, uh, it recurred once again, and I was put on uh, hormone therapy, androgen de deprivation therapy, ADT, commonly known as hormone therapy. And uh, I, I've chosen with um, my doctors and myself making that decision to go on intermittent hormone therapy. And I've been on two sessions. First one lasted me, um, I only had two injections, and the first one lasted me uh, three years. Then my second uh, set of two injections, and now it's been a little more than uh, three years since. And I chose that particular way with the guidance of my doctor, of course, um, because quality of life was so important. Right, because uh, there are a lot of uh, side effects to the treatment. So uh, I want to get back to Dr. Wright, and I want to go over some of the new findings in this New England Journal of Medicine. I want to give out the phone numbers to call once again if you've got questions about prostate cancer and uh, men, especially men over 60 out there, you should have questions because this is something uh, really you should be thinking about and protecting yourself. Uh, the numbers 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. So here is what uh, the surprising finding is and uh, the exception 
to the rule is Jack because he was treated very successfully. And 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 what a survivor you uh, sound like you are. Um, I really appreciate your being with us. However, of the men that were monitored, it didn't seem to make a difference if they were treated for their cancer or how they were treated with their cancer. The mortality rate, the death rate, seemed to be about the same. So what they did is that they took, uh, first they took a general population, then they found men who were diagnosed with prostate cancer, and they randomly assigned them to three groups, prostate surgery, radiation treatment, and active monitoring. Uh, That can be difficult psychologically. It means you don't do anything, but you keep watching it. And as soon as you see uh, something getting worse, that's when you step in. And Basically, without getting into all the detailed numbers, uh, the mortality rate and and uh, the risk of uh, the risk of death, and it was the same for all three groups. Pretty scary finding that that doing nothing gives uh, just about the same result as very invasive surgery for the people who were treated with the surgery. The the side effects are incompetent in, incontinence impotence, and uh, that really affects your quality of life. And, uh, um, you know, in a moment, we'll talk to Jack. Also, depression can be a side effect. So uh, before we go to the phones, uh, Dr. Wright, uh, what do you have to say about those results? So this was, um, to be clear, very early stage prostate cancer. So cancer that hadn't spread and um, was not actively, like, really growing fast. And you said it's scary that we can see that we're treating some people we may not have to treat. But at the same time, it's also um, really interesting and, and, and positive news that 99% of all of these patients um, survived 10 years, whether they had surgery, radiation, or they were being actively monitored. There was a, a slight increased chance in having your cancer spread if you were just being monitored, but that didn't affect uh, the overall mortality rate. So what that meant is if they, they monitored you and they saw that your cancer had spread, then they treated you. Um, so really, there was some pros and cons to both sides. Clearly, there's a lot of quality of life issues with treatment. And um, but some people just really need to get treated. Some people just can't live with the uncertainty of having a cancer and not doing anything about it. But if you can, if you can, there is uh, just active monitoring is a really great option to be able to have the quality of life that you currently have and just um, you know keep keep up to date, have your appointments, make sure that your cancer isn't growing, and that um, you don't have to necessarily do anything about your prostate cancer. Well, uh, the interesting thing is, I think this is bigger news in the United States because they're, uh, I think they would tend to treat more aggressively quicker. Here in Canada, we already have this active surveillance or monitoring for a a large percentage of men. Um, We have to take a quick break. And when we come back, callers, we are going to take your calls. And we have Dr. Wright and Jack Shore here to take your questions. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I'm here with our trusted contributors from the Canadian Cancer Society. We're talking about prostate cancer and new guidelines on what you should be doing to monitor it and to deal with it. Uh, I'm going to go right to the phones. We've got Stan in Listowel. Hi, hi, Stan. Hi, how are you? 
Fine. How are you? I'm good. You're, you're... Uh, on my prostate, I, I, it shut down when I was 59. I had to go to the hospital. And then uh, when I was 64, it shut down again. And the doctor has me on uh, a couple of pills. And I take uh, a vitamin salpimento, but I, I'm just wondering, as I age, you say this is a problem as you get older, what should I be looking for? What, what symptoms do I have or would I notice? So if symptoms, I have a, a problem, a, a worse problem developing, I mean. Most of the symptoms of um, early symptoms of prostate cancer uh, yeah. are um, changes in urinary behaviors. So if you just notice a uh, difference um, in the way you urinate, usually that's one of the main symptoms, or if there's blood in the urine, um, that's definitely something to talk to your doctor about. Okay, blood, yeah, I knew that. I see that when I used to live in Toronto, the ads on the subway. <laughs> About blood in the ear in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just I was just wondering if you know it's it's this supplemento. I take a vitamin. Does that is that helping or is that just waste of money? Uh, I can't really comment on the vitamin since I don't know um, what's in it. Um, oh, but that yeah, you, if you talk to your doctor, I'm sure they could give you a, a good answer about that. Well, the last time I was there, he said, "Whatever you're doing, keep doing it." <laughs> okay, well, that's an answer, Stan. Thanks for your call. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, we've got uh, Case in Caledon. Hello, Case. Hi. Good morning. No, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, okay, I'll quickly relate the story. Uh, both my father and older brother uh, had prostate cancers. They were not the, I don't think, the serious kind. I'm not sure about my father because they didn't talk about it a whole lot back in the, in the 80s, uh, being European from where they were from. So I think as far as I know, he did have his removed, and he eventually died of a heart attack. And my older brother, he, they monitored him closely, and then he died of uh, a colon cancer, actually. Sorry so, to hear that. Yeah, so uh, I have had uh, the PSA test regularly and then mine started to shoot up it went up through the two three fours fives they decided I should have a biopsy I did have the biopsy this was done at the Sunnybrook facility and then I had complications thereafter which were not pleasant at all which uh, was blood clotting well <laughs> and I mean blood clotting <laughs> case I, I think that that underscores um, the risks of over treatment if we're not saying it was over treatment in your case but that that there just underscores the risk. You'd get a PSA test based on that, they get a biopsy, which you may or may not need, and then you have a, a, a side effect. How are you doing now? Oh, I'm doing fine. I'm, uh, I've been, uh, this biopsy thing was done probably about uh, three to four years ago. I've had no problem. Urination is normal. But uh, so now I just go once a year for the PSA test because that's about all I think they have to offer me. But I'm still at the risk thing. So, uh, yeah, I'm sort of caught between that. Uh, so what did they, the, you didn't have cancer then? No, no, it turned out to be uh, negative from the result biopsy, showed I did not have it. But uh, there were complications from the biopsy, as uh, you've explained earlier, that uh, that can happen when it was, uh, but who was to know? Between being high risk to relatives, direct relatives, I mean, they had no choice but to do the biopsy. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I think that also really underscores the need for research. Um, so we fund research at the Canadian Cancer Society, and really we're looking to try to find better diagnostic tests that actually indicate cancer, not just a high level or marker of some kind, mm-hmm. and that are less invasive. So we are doing and, and funding research, looking and, for better ways. And also a, a big thing of research, I mean, prostate cancer is is one of those things where you're more likely to die with it than of it. So 
really some early way to figure out if you are diagnosed with it is it is it a one that's slow moving and isn't going to kill you or if it's a really bad one like mm-hmm. Jack has yeah so we also are, are finding research trying to find genetic markers and ways to tell whether um, at the at initial diagnosis whether your cancer will be very slow growing or whether it will develop into a much more aggressive cancer so that's also a good uh, like a strong area of research okay uh, case thanks for your call okay thank you uh, let's go to Debbie in Mississauga. Hi, Debbie. Oh, hi, Libby. Go hi, ahead. Hi, doctor. Um, I'm just calling about my husband. He was diagnosed with prostate cancer at 63 10 years ago. Um, and his numbers were up and down. You know, they went up and, you know, the doctors say, um, you know, that's normal as you get older. But it gets confusing. But his doctor was very proactive and um, sent him sent him for a biopsy. And it turned out to be cancer. And he didn't have a lot of, lot of obvious symptoms. Um, and it was a little more aggressive cancer. So he was referred to Princess Margaret and opted for the radiation. And now he's been cancer-free for 10 years. But it gets confusing. And if he didn't have that biopsy, you know, it probably would have spread. Well, you don't know that. But, <laughs> but um, he did have cancer and you did... Mm-hmm. Treated and how does he is he okay with the side effects of the treatment? Yeah, he had radiation and he really didn't have many side effects. Um, just you know some bowel, but he has no long-standing side effects at all. So that's very it's, good it's, to hear. It's good that way. But the doctor said it was a more aggressive type of cancer. So he said, you know, it's not one that they would just watch and see. Um, it was one that either he would have the surgery or the radiation. So everyone's cancer is individual, and, and clearly yeah. it was great that they caught your husband's cancer. It was a bit more aggressive, but uh, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, when we're talking about PSA tests and screening, it, it really is a conversation everyone has to have with their doctor about the risks and benefits and whether you have a family history or whether you have any symptoms that could be indicative and really what's the best um, test and, and plan of action. It's going to be individual. There probably isn't ever going to be one one plan for everyone. So it's really great that they managed to catch, catch your husband's cancer yeah. and that he's doing so well. Yeah, we're great. We're, we're, we're very happy to hear that. Thanks, Debbie. Thank you. And okay. Libby, can I just jump in for a second on Please. that one? Um, one thing I've discovered um, through all of my research, as well as uh, my own experiences and speaking with other prostate cancer survivors, and that is that we cannot negate the fact, and, and Dr. Wright, you alluded to it already, that um, this is a very individual form of cancer. Yes, there are some generalities that can be made, but um, when studies are done, each test group is different from the other. They may receive different um, treatments, but it's so personal a cancer that develops in in men that it may take a different direction with every single person depending on the treatment so i think um yes there are studies all cancer is personal and and the direction that cancer treatment is going is personalized medicine everybody's cancer is different you make a very good point i just wanted to mention that because um, we cannot be too cautious Okay. Um, let's uh, take a call from Barb in Mississauga. Hello, Barb. Hello. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I've become involved with the whole prostate cancer business recently. When my husband uh, went for, he's 60 years old, went for a physical because he felt something wasn't quite right and was found to have a 
soaring high, PSA well above 20, and wow. um, very bad ratio. And so my comment is really about doing PSA testing, routine testing. And it's been mentioned that it should be an informed decision and discussion of risks and benefits. Well, my husband had had several physicals in the last many years, and at no time was it ever even mentioned. And then um, for me to research and discover that there were these guidelines that suggested um, no PSA testing. Well, you know, we've, we've heard from several callers who were fortunate to be caught in the early stages, and we've heard about the New England Journal of Medicine article well, the gentleman in that study couldn't even have been in the study if they didn't have routine PSA testing and to find that it's caught early. So I just want to say to any men listening, if you're in the 55 and above, ask the doctor for a PSA test in Ontario. It will cost you 50-something dollars. But um, let me tell you, when you're, when you're looking at the possibility of a terminal diagnosis, um, issues such as infection after biopsy, um, temporary impotence, those seem like a walk in the park. Okay, thanks, Barb. Thank you. Uh, as uh, Dr. Wright was suggesting, it's really a conversation that you should have with your doctor because uh, there are risks to overtreatment, as we heard from one of our previous <laughs> callers. Um, so, again, you know, I know that people, you know, if their cancer was found, they would be very passionate about this. But again, Always. It's all individual, as Jack pointed out, and it's it's always a conversation with your doctor. Mm-hmm. So clearly, um, this man, you know, it's it, his, he had a test and it was his PSA was already quite high, but it wasn't a conversation he'd had with his doctor. So if you're over 50, um, for sure it's something, and, and you're a man, and you should bring it up with your doctor and, and see if it's right for you. Um, I know that some people recommend just one is what they call a, a baseline. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they see what your normal level is, and then if there's a big increase, that's when they might move to something else. Yeah. So that's with Jack. Jack's story. Um, maybe he can comment on that about Jack. Yes, uh, I had been monitored um, for many, many years before I was finally diagnosed. It was that sudden change in the PSA that caused my my own family doctor to go a little um, deeper, pardon the pun, um, and do the digital examination, and uh, that's when he discovered the nodule. So in combination, um, you, you take a number of factors, and then you have that rich discussion with your doctor as to what the next stages would be, and mine was obviously to see a urologist and go through a biopsy based on those findings. And and let's remind people that the recommendations in the New England Journal of Medicine are for people of average risk. They don't apply to people at high risk, people with a big family history. That's a whole different ballgame. Okay, who do we have next? We've got Alan in Mississauga. Hello, Alan. Hi, how are you today, lady? Fine, how are you? Good, good. I love your show. Thank you. Uh, I have a few questions. Uh, uh, besides blood, I mean, is there any other symptoms that you should be looking for, like like uh, going, going to the washroom a lot, like... Uh, is that something to worry about? Yeah, so changes in your urinary habits. So if that it include could include going to the washroom more often or feeling an urgency to use the washroom more often, that's another type of urinary change. So if that's something that you start to experience that you hadn't experienced before, that's something you should talk to your doctor about. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is uh, prostate cancer, but it definitely is a change in your health that should be looked at. 
Okay, now, I mean, I heard from, from so many people that this PSA test is, is not very accurate. So, it basically, it's looking for, for a marker in your blood that could indicate you have cancer, but doesn't necessarily <coughs> indicate you have cancer. So that's why there's a little bit of um, ambiguity with the test. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it's so, it's a conversation uh, you should have with your doctor about whether you need that test or not. Yeah, yeah. No, I talked to my doctor about that test, and uh, you know what? My doctor doesn't believe in the PSA test. It's, it's, it's not very accurate. Mm-hmm. So I think really it's it's what symptoms you're having and what, what family history, and, and it's a personal conversation you have with your doctor. What other tests can, can you take beside the PSA? So other than um, a doctor doing a digital rectal exam where they feel for changes in uh, your prostate, um, unless they really feel like you're having symptoms that indicate you have cancer, they're really not going to do any other test. But we oh, do are looking for research to find better ways to diagnose it. So we okay, are looking so for better ways. you're more often than I used to because of my age. That might not be any problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, Alan, thank you very much for your call. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Uh-oh. Um, we only have uh, a few seconds left, so um, uh, we'll give uh, Dr. Wright uh, just what would you like to leave us with? Uh, I just uh, want to um, reiterate the fact that although, you know, 24,000 Canadian men get prostate cancer a year, the survival rate is 96% and even much higher for early um, early stage cancer. So it isn't an emergency if you're diagnosed with early stage cancer. You should really take the time to talk to your doctor about the treatment options, whether you want to be monitored, and uh, uh, just, you know, not to feel that pressure to get treated right away. Okay, Jack, uh, anything you'd like to leave us with? Uh, Just one um, important point, and that is eventually the hormone therapy that I'm under um, will no longer do the job that it's, if it keeps recurring, uh, will no longer do the job that uh, is intended. And through the research that the Canadian Cancer Society is doing, um, there are new ways as the next step for me down the road, and that I really appreciate. Okay. Thank you to you both, uh, our trusted contributors from the Canadian Cancer Society. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.